Hey listeners, it's Andy, and I'm here to see if you've tried Audible yet. With an incredible selection of audiobooks, it is the perfect way to dive deeper into the stories upon which some of your favorite films are based. Audible members get a credit every month to redeem on any audiobook they like, plus access to a huge plus catalog of podcasts, originals, and more. Just imagine listening to the books that inspired movies like The Bourne Identity, Moneyball, or sci-fi classics like Dune. The best part? You can try Audible free for 30 days and get your first audiobook on them. It's a great way to experience storytelling while supporting this podcast. To get started, go to thenextreel.com slash audible or text thenextreel to 500-500. Listen to incredible audiobooks and support the show today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. I didn't know that's a Skype delay. I'm sure. Oh, threw me off. Well, you counted backwards. Who counted? I was counting down. I was doing a countdown. You don't do a countdown. When you count in, you count up. When somebody says, count me in, you count up. We're doing it again. One, two, (laughs) three. Hello. You started late. I see it is a Skype delay. (laughs) Well, I at least feel, I feel like I've proven my point. We'll, uh, fix, we'll fix it in post. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's episode 100. <laughs> oh, now you're, now you're giving away the gag. No, I just... Oh, I was, no. My little trumpet. My little excited, you know, like my cake burst open and all the little people came dancing out. The little rubber band band. <laughs> Who are the... <laughs> Who are the little people? <laughs> <laughs> what what universe that, offers little people that jump out of a cake? <laughs> <laughs> They're all covered in icing. Poor little people. How could they possibly play their little trombones when they're all covered in frosting? I was picturing the rubber band band. Do you remember the old Warner Brothers cartoons? It was a band, and they were all rubber bands, but it was a rubber band band. <laughs> and they would, like, I don't know, they would march across the screen quickly, and they would play their little rubber band instruments. <laughs> <laughs> I miss that. How are you, Andrew? I'm so excited about episode 100. Did you ever think in a million years, 100 episodes ago, that's 100 solid weeks, my friend, 100 episodes, that we would possibly be here 100 episodes hence? Um, Figure that out. You parse that and get back to me. Amazing, yes, <laughs> it really is amazing. Do you remember? It's exciting. I when you first asked me, "Hey, we should do this show together," I was like, "Oh, this sounds like a fun time." <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever quite thought that we would actually be uh, doing it this long. So it, it is very exciting. 
Um, uh, what is the uh, number one uh, biggest lesson that you have learned over the last 100 episodes about uh, film? Go ahead. <laughs> this is what we prepped before the show, Pete. <laughs> Most have time to think. <laughs> I have learned that watching a movie every week is a lot of fun, and it's a good way to stay connected to the, the wonderful magic of cinematic storytelling. Well, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I didn't. Uh, I didn't see that coming. I'm not uh, nearly as prepared as as you are. Um, <laughs> I I was going to say something about the movie Rush. And, oh yes. Um, and uh, about now you see me, which is now available on Blu-ray. Please don't buy it. Some and of <laughs> some of our really our favorites. Let's bring up the ones we really love on the 100. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> don't forget Strange Days. Everything past uh, the credits. Uh, this has been a, uh, you know, I learn so much every single week talking to you, and I always find, I almost always find that I like the movies more after I talk to you about them. There are notable exceptions to that rule, but almost always I find I like the movies more after I hear your insights. Especially Taxi Driver. <laughs> that one didn't play as well. I'm just saying, if you're, that was, did not work. Uh, your that next was did not work. You were downright cranky. <laughs> There are good. There are a lot of good conversations that we've had, and I really enjoy having them. And I do feel that I I walk away with new insights into each film, and it's always fun to just kind of have these these casual, chatty conversations about movies that we like, for the most part. Indeed, Gosh, you remember when the show was called Movies We Like? Oh, that Boy, was, those those were the go. days. And then we started talking about movies that we don't like, and had to change the entire branding of the show. <laughs> Damn it, Rush, you really screwed us up. <laughs> That's good stuff. For those of you who have been longtime listeners of the show, you'll know that we have been complaining about this for some time, that we don't have a film, a, a theme song for the next reel. And we're very excited tonight, episode 100, to unveil our brand new theme song. Are you ready? I know I am. You know, I think it was just what this show needed to really finally get the level of professionalism that it deserves. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I could not have said that better. <laughs> Nailed it. Oh, man. That is a track called Ragtime Instrumental from the wonderfully talented Eli Catlin. I found that on SoundCloud. Uh, Eli's got a ton of great stuff on there, so we'll put a post link this week in the show notes to Eli's uh, SoundCloud page and and definitely check out his stuff. Um, uh, he is gracious enough to release this track into the Creative Commons, uh, so we are we are using it with um, with his blessing, and we sure appreciate uh, him being so gracious uh, to our modest production. Uh, okay, so uh, what do we have to say for uh, episode 100? We have been saving this one. We're going to talk about a movie tonight that I think we're both pretty excited about. I am super excited. I am, uh, I, I've been giddy about this film since, uh, since, since I, I knew that there was going to be one. <laughs> Back when I discovered that there was this, you know, this third Cornetto uh, film that was going to be made by Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost, and I've been a little, 
little uh, giddy schoolboy <laughs> about <laughs> about knowing it was out there one day. I mean, geez, we did the first two shows back in, uh, gosh, it was like spring uh, 2012, wasn't it? Wow. Uh, I'm going to tell you because I'm, I'm browsing by series on our website right now. And that's true. No, it was, yeah, it was March 16th, 2012, uh, March 8th and March 16th, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Yep. And uh, that leads us to today we're talking about, boy, that was before we did trailers, before we did film nonsense. Yeah, Man, a lot, of, lot has changed. We are wrapping. Back when I was still the movie monkey. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, tonight we are uh, we're finishing up the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy uh, with the World's End, and it, it obviously it came out a couple of weeks ago. This is a newer film. If you it's still in theaters as we are recording this, so if you have not seen it uh, and you don't want to be spoiled, please uh, step away from your uh, sound machine. Because we are going to spoil we're the gonna, hell out of this one. We are going to spoil the hell out of this one. It's um, uh, And so uh, do that. That's what we do here. We spoil movies. You can find out more about us at thenextreel.com. You can join the conversation at facebook.com slash thenextreel. You can subscribe to the show, which we strongly encourage you to do by visiting iTunes and subscribing there. That is, uh, you know, you can subscribe using any number of, uh, you know, podcatchery. Uh, technology, but uh, iTunes is still where most people find the show. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we really appreciate the kind words and the comments that you leave on iTunes. Those definitely get back to us, and it's it's uh, motivating to, to keep talking about movies and keep keep pushing out the links. So uh, we sure appreciate that. Just, just like birth and a baby. Push those links out. <laughs> Sorry, that's a terrible, terrible metaphor. God, isn't it? <laughs> Do you know what's funny? It's how fast things can get just super weird. <laughs> it's just yeah, that is funny. It's like right. flipping a switch, right? And uh, suddenly yep. something comes out of your mouth, and it's super weird. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I need a drink. <laughs> uh, so there's that, and um, we uh, let's see. Now I've totally derailed. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, Andy over there is what are you? At Soda Creek Film. At Soda Creek Film. I am at Pete Wright, and uh, you know. Uh, hang out at the next reel. Uh, also at the blog, uh, definitely find the blog because our our good and kindly uh, Steve Sarmento is is pushing out blog posts over there, and he's, you know, he's a great writer and he thinks deeply about films, and I love reading every time he posts something. Absolutely. Um, and uh, oh, and we have an announcement. Then we're f- then we're officially done with the news. I I don't want to belabor this, but our announcement is: if you're listening this week, on Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. Am I right? You're on right. Saturday, we're having another film board, so be on the lookout this weekend for another of our very special edition uh, Next Real Film Board episodes. We've got, uh, we're bringing the, the board together to take on uh, Prisoners. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for Prisoners? Are you excited about Prisoners? This was, I it's think, a, you were the one who was excited about this one. Yes, it's a, a Thanksgiving film for the whole family. Well, most of it. <laughs> Uh, oh, the whole family, you know, they, they start together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. This will be good. I am I have not read any early uh, reviews or any early signals. I have no idea if this one is going to uh, further contribute to the next real curse. Uh, but I'm excited to talk about it with you, gents. Definitely looking forward to it. And now, let's talk about some trailers. Fantastic. You don't, start, know, you don't even know. You don't even know my trailer. Let's, 
Let's start with yours, since it's a mystery to me. <laughs> the Last Days on Mars. What? Oh, yeah, I saw that. Uh, I haven't seen the trailer, but I saw the image uh, for You haven't the seen the trailer? No. It's this been a is bad why we trailer week for me, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't pronounce the name, so you're going to have to get me on this. Director Ruari, Rauri Robinson? Rauri <laughs> Robinson. Rauri? Rory? R-U-A-I-R-I. Yeah, it looks like Ruary. 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 Ruary Robinson. Sounds like Siri. You sound like Siri. Ruary Robinson. Ruary Robinson hasn't directed. Ruary Robinson has not directed Ruary much. It's oh, just too bad because this movie looks so good. No, it's not too bad. This is a, a fantastic movie. Uh, the first thing uh, is a bunch of short films: Blinky TM, Silent City, Fifty Percent Gray, <laughs> <laughs> The House on the Dame House Street. on Dame Street, uh, and uh, and so Last Days on Mars is uh, it's sort of a a blip in there. Is based on the short story by Sidney J. Browns. Clive Dawson stars. Leave Schreiber, Romola Gary, Elias Codius. Uh, it, uh, Olivia Williams, Johnny Harris, Goran Kostic, uh, Tom Cullen. It, it's got a great cast of uh, typically wonderful supporting actors. Yes. All in a spaceship together. And uh, it looks uh, not a little bit like uh, Prometheus, but on Mars. And probably cool. not quite so overwrought. Gotcha. I'm going to get way, in trouble again because of our friend who read us the riot act about not liking Prometheus enough. And I would like to say for the record, I think on many, in many areas, I think he may be right. I still haven't seen it. It's on my list, though. I will oh, watch it again. I, I pulled it out. And it's By the way, uh, anyway. it's, it's pronounced Rory. <laughs> <laughs> it's just spelled in the, I guess, the Gaelic Irish uh, spelling, so it looks very confusing. But it's it's just simply Rory. I prefer my pronunciation once again, Rory <laughs> Robinson. Uh, so anyway, last days on Mars. It's a it, it's got a UK release of September nineteenth, so it's already in theaters in the UK. I uh, actually I haven't checked if it's uh, streaming yet here, but um, uh, no US release date as far as I can find. But the trailer looks. Uh, really interesting, mostly because I am a complete sucker for stranded on other planets films, and um, I, I do generally like them. I take them very personally, and when they fail me, I I feel hurt, like somebody just broke up with me. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's why I'm really looking forward to my first date with the last days on Mars. It does look like it opens at limited in the U.S. December sixth. Oh, good find. So there you go. Seven point six uh, out of ten from 133 reviewers. So it's a good fair C. Yeah, it looks from looking at the the picture, <laughs> it looks great. <laughs> you should you should definitely I will watch, watch this. the trailer it's, soon. <laughs> yeah, you should watch the trailer soon. It it looks uh, it looks pretty darn good. So, yeah, uh, check it out. Cool. What's yours, my friend? My trailer this week is uh, the what, what starts off looking quite like a, a goofball comedy. Uh, turns into a little more of a comedic drama, and it's Best Man Down, the uh, the film that uh, Ted Coland is directing, starring Justin Long, uh, Jess uh, Wexler, and Tyler Labine, 
who is the best man who does <laughs> die <laughs> the day of the wedding. Um, he was in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. He was in Tucker and Dale versus Evil. I talked about that a while back on the show. And um, he, he's just a very funny actor that uh, just has that kind of cuddly teddy bear sort of look. And in this, he ha- he's like the obnoxious best man who ends up dying. And then it, it just it looks like all of a sudden it, it becomes this kind of touching story as this man is trying to learn who his friend was, who is kind of a loner. And I just I, I really found it very touching. And I, I yeah, it just looks like something that will uh, be a great kind of little indie uh, comedy drama. I, yeah, it does. I know I know. this brings <laughs> dark memories up for no, you. No, you know, it's not even that. It actually looks really good. And I, I, I think the, uh, you know, I, so I, I think it looks uh, really great. I love, yeah, it looks uh, very I, I do love these touching sort of journey stories. And I, I love the whole concept of getting to know somebody after they've, they've died through their, mm-hmm. their sort of uh, history. Yeah. Uh, that's always been a concept that's very appealing to me. It's like, you, you know, pulling out the trunk in the attic uh, to, to learn about, you know, long past family. I think that's a, it's a wonderful story. And I love these journey stories. And I, I think it's going to be a, a, a touching little film. I look forward to seeing it too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what's it called again? It's called best man down. No, oh, I should have, should have remembered that. It's not Subtle. quite, not quite the sequel to white house, Death. <laughs> but it could have been, it could have been. Did you see, uh, have you seen any of the, uh, blowing up white house movies this summer? Did you see? No, I, I missed them both. I missed them both as well. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm that disappointed yeah. about having missed them both. You know, maybe they'll be fun to watch one. You know, one late evening when I have nothing else to do. That's but right. that's right. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about uh, talk about the world's end. All right. Drink up. Let's boo boo. And we're back. Just like the five musketeers. Three musketeers, isn't it? Well, nobody knows how many there were, really, do they? You know that the three musketeers is a fiction, right? Written by Alexander Dumas. A lot of people are saying that about the Bible these days. What, that it was written by Alexander Dumas? <laughs> Don't be daft, Steve. It was written by Jesus. Are we there, yeah? Let's do this! They haven't seen each other in 20 years. I'm free to do what I want. But tonight, they're returning to their hometown to finish the ultimate pub crawl. This is our chance to finally conquer the Golden Mile. 12 pubs, 12 pints. And this time, they're going to make it to the last pub, the world's end. Let's go! What do you recommend? Beer. We'll have five of those. The only way to survive the night is to make it all the way to the world's end. Where are the others? They're blending in. Hello, I am a robot. We are going to get to the world's end if it kills us. Oh, no. Uh, How would you characterize the world's end as uh, as a function of the trilogy of films, Hot Fuzz? Shaun of the Dead. How does it fit? Uh, you know, that's uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, the whole idea of this Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy kind of started as as a joke when somebody mentioned to them, I think it was after Hot Fuzz, uh, it had to be because they needed to have two films by that point, uh, somebody mentioned that they have this recurring Cornetto thing in the two films. 
And he said he, you know, uh, Edgar Wright thought it'd be really funny. Oh yeah, make us. He made a joke about it and how he's suggested that the three flavors of Cornetto, referencing Christoph Kieslowski's The Three Colors trilogy that he made, and so so he. Uh, they decided, yeah, we we are going to have to get this other Cornetto uh, flavor into another movie because, the, of course, Shaun of the Dead had the strawberry Cornetto, the Hot Fuzz had the the blue Cornetto, kind of you know, red Cornetto for blood, blue Cornetto for police, and then they had the the green mint chocolate chip Cornetto. They wanted to do something that had aliens or kind of that whole sci-fi thing, and so they they came up with this idea around the time of Hot Fuzz, and they kind of sat on it, and. Uh, the films don't really they're they're all kind of their own little entities and i mean in a way they just kind of all fit together because the nature of the the recurring cornetto and a few of the recurring jokes like the jumping over the fence the video game that keeps popping up in all of them many of the cast but in a way it's also this trilogy that I, that i don't know if it was intentional but it's this trilogy about these these men who are kind of uh, unable to connect to their world, right? You've got Sean who's kind of walking through this zombie life that he's stuck in. Uh, he doesn't quite, he's not quite uh, ready to commit to kind of the business life that his uh, roommate Pete has. He's definitely, I don't think, quite ready to devolve down to uh, Ed's level and become just kind of the stoner. Um, so he's kind of just stuck in this zombie life, not sure where he wants to go, stuck in his romance. Then you have Hot Fuzz, and you've got uh, Nicholas Angel, and he's kind of stuck in his own rut of being, uh, you know, too uh, committed to his job, and he can't turn off, and he is unable to kind of uh, close that side of himself. And then you've got uh, Nick Frost as as Danny, who is kind of the 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 totally naive cop, and 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 so. Nick has to, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, Nicholas Angel, he has to kind of learn how to, to open up. And he, so there's those, those two relationships in those two films. Uh, the first one, Sean and his girlfriend, as he kind of learns to kind of come out and make, a, make something of his life. And then the second one, you've got uh, Nicholas Angel, who also is so committed to his job that it's closing off his life. And he has to learn how to kind of change his life so that he can actually find more enjoyment in life. And in this film, in The World's End, you've got Gary King, who also is kind of stuck in his own rut in his life, which happens to be this nostalgic past, this pub crawl from 1990 that he's totally stuck in. And he's not able to kind of move out of that and, and join life. Oddly enough, all of his friends from back then have moved forward, but they're all stuck in their own ruts too. And and so in a way, it's all fil they're all films about these men who are stuck in a place in life that uh, they need to find a way to kind of move through in order to make a better life for themselves. That yeah, that's exactly how I would have uh, would have put it. I mean, I I, I think. Uh, um, you, to me, there are these. It's a story. They're all stories of transformation, either a, a failure to transform or uh, an example of what happens when you transform through this stage of life. You know, in, in Shaun of the Dead, we have um, this transformation from youth through sort of resp taking responsibility and sort of you know growing up in in that first stage of life. And, the, and Hot Fuzz is very much a story about career and how do you take responsibility in uh, in in all of the the ways that responsibility affects you in your career and and in uh, 
you know, in, in the world's end, this is why it, it, I've deeply connected to this film because this is, you know, these are people who have made it through those other two sort of uh, uh, transformations. And here they are uh, as grownups trying to figure out what kind of people they want to be in this world, uh, you know, as it is anew. And, and uh, so we'll talk a little bit about the coda at the end of the film and what that means to this overall message of transformation that, that I mm-hmm. think is, is really important. But, but you know, in terms of how it fits to me, there are some other angles, you know, I, I feel like that are important to uh, to recognize. The first is the the stylistic connection. I mean, just the visual trickery that and and uh, the, the style of editing and, and the momentum, the visual momentum that is created uh, is absolutely consistent across all of these films. And it makes it feel like they are very much part of the same universe. You know, even though we see aliens in the world's end, uh, it, it wouldn't be a far stretch to see a zombie on a street corner um, just because of the attention to the the style similarities, I think, that, that exist. Um, at the same time, there is a... a uh, disconnect between the the genre mashup that they that they do you know this this sort of take on the mm-hmm. zombie mashup in Shaun of the Dead is very different from the uh, you know their take on the kind of American action film uh, yeah. and the contrast between this British community in, in Hot Fuzz and this giant, and the big American action extravaganza which I think makes right. it so funny um, and and then you know uh, the World's End take on uh, on on the sci-fi classics so. I think, uh, you know, I, I think all of those things come together to make this, uh, you know, ironically well-suited trilogy um, it, that I would never have expected to be a trilogy. But when I watch them back to back, they feel like hand to glove. Yeah, they absolutely do. I, uh, on opening night, I actually went to see it when they had the the Cornetto trilogy night where you could actually go and watch all three films and and uh, ju- and they just played them all back to back and it was a great experience seeing them all back to back because uh, it's not quite lord of the rings where you see you know they all three pieces fit together but you're right they do feel so much uh, uh like siblings and they're meant yes. to they meant they're meant to kind of have that uh, consistent vibe across all three yeah, that's that's definitely the word for it. Now, of course, in the world's end, uh, we we haven't really talked about the story. It's you know, it's a on its surface, it's and I think the first half of the film really is a is a pretty simple story of these, uh, you know, five friends uh, you know, led by uh, Simon Pegg's character, uh, you know, Gary, uh, who uh, come together to uh, for a twenty year reunion to do this pub crawl. Yeah, uh, and. So I think the first half of the story is really, uh, you know, it raises the question, can you go home again? Uh, in so many different ways, every every uh, kind of interaction between Gary and each of his friends here uh, played, you know, brilliantly uh, uh, by, let's see, Martin Freeman, uh, obviously Nick Frost. Uh, oh, gosh, help me. See, I closed my tab. Pat, Patty Considine. Yep, Patty Considine and... Um, Simon Pegg and... Uh, 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 oh, come on. Oh, <laughs> good grief. It's uh, Eddie Marsan. Yes, Eddie Marsan. Yeah. yeah. So great. Yep. Uh, and so each one of these, but what's so interesting about them is that that uh, all of their interactions with each other tend to be very good, tend to kind of demonstrate a great affinity for one another, uh, e- even if sort of uh, you know kind of uh, backhanded affinity. But none of them really seem to like uh, Gary. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. Well, I mean, it just it's clear that Gary, like from the outset, Gary is that friend who borrowed money and never returned it uh you know 
sold your stuff to go buy drugs. I mean, he's he's really that bad friend that you all kind of want to forget about. And it's clear that these guys have a totally different different recollection of Gary than he has of them. And I, I think that they would all have been content to just continue moving forward with their life if Gary hadn't brought them all together uh, for this pub crawl because I, none of them were in a place where they were stuck in that nostalgic mindset where they needed to reconnect like that. And, it, I mean, none of them really even stayed in touch with each other, it sounds like. It just... But it's easy for them to fall back into that friendship like it is after meeting an old friend again, you know. Right, right. Um, yeah. How but familiar, Gary, is, how, Gary how, is just a mess. He's, he's a total mess. Uh, how familiar does this, does this feel to you? Like when you watch this film, how, uh, like what was your initial well, connection I, to it? I, you know, it's it's funny because Gary is a hard character to connect to because, you know, talk about, you know, saving the cat. There's not a lot to like about Gary other than the fact that Simon Pegg plays him and he's a funny, he's a funny character. But, I mean, he is kind of uh, a despicable guy. You know, he's lying. I mean, he he goes so far as to lie about his mother dying. I mean, it's just <laughs> the things that, so that he good. lies about are horrible. He's a terrible, terrible guy. But, um if there's anything that I think helps you connect to him, and I know it worked for me uh, brilliantly, is that whole open and that nostalgic feel of this vibe of what our uh, this pub crawl back in 1990 was like and what a great time we had, and that whole sequence at the beginning of the film that is kind of a flashback, uh, which interestingly, and I think smartly, uh, Edgar Wright actually uses this, I think, in all three films, he really walks you through what you're going to be seeing over the course of the rest of the entire film in that opening, I don't know, five or seven minutes, however long it is. Uh, and you see like all the different things as people, you know, fall out of the pub crawl and all that stuff. It's just funny how much it mirrors everything. But you get that opening, which is brilliant. And then it's just like a smash cut to Gary sitting in basically like a, a rehab center telling this story, reflecting on the great times and, and really how he doesn't have that anymore. And here he is sitting in this circle, spilling his guts to this group of, uh, interestingly zombie like people. Um, and then one of them is like, well, do you regret, do you have any, do you regret it? Do you wish that you had finished it? it? Which triggers his idea to actually do this whole thing. But it's a great way to begin this film. It's for me, that really connected me to him realizing that this is a man who's lost in life he's disconnected he doesn't he hasn't been able to get himself out of that that nostalgic place and i you know there are those things that you have in life that come up that totally trigger those nostalgic memories that you have that's like oh gosh if only it was like that that was such a great time that was such a great place in my life and it it can be dangerous to kind of get lost in that because you're living in the now. You have to, like, like uh, Sam, Rosamund uh, Pike's character says later, you know, you have to be, um, you know, we have to be moving forward. You can't be moving backward. It's, uh, I, I love how you put that. That's exactly my sense of his character in particular. And I would just add, uh, you know, he is, uh, you know, a despicable person. But that opening sequence is the gun on the mantelpiece for me in terms of his character arc, because uh, even through all of his despicableness, you know, uh, mm-hmm. through the, the first and second act, we get that sense that he was 
that that there is hope, there is redemption, redemption because we get that sense of nostalgia, we get that sense of importance, and he was already in rehab in some yep. case, right? And so we know that there is some hope for him to come to a broader realization about himself, and for, at right. least that's how I walked away with that opening sequence, which allowed me to buy uh, all of his other, you know, shenanigans uh, in a way that um, uh, that I think without that opening sequence and that that sort of sense of nostalgia that I think for any of us who kind of grew up, uh, you know, sort of found ourselves in the 80s, you know, um, uh, it it really relates. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's not just rehab. I mean, from later when when his sleeves are pulled back, I mean, it looks to me like his arms are all bandaged up, right. like he had recently tried committing suicide. Right. And I mean, he's he was really in a dark place. And so he really needs something to kind of get out of that. It's like he's he's trying to connect to the past, but through that, it ends up being a trigger to kind of help him finally move forward. Oddly, you know, it does take some, uh, an alien invasion <laughs> to, to spur it on, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the town. You know, it's, it is interesting going back to this, uh, Newton Haven, this town that they're going to. And, uh, I think that it, it does really ring a bell. Like anytime you go back to a place from your past that you hadn't visited in a while, um, whether it's, you know, the, I mean, generally, I guess like kind of your childhood home, you go back and, and, and it keeps moving forward, but in your mind, it's locked in that place where it was when you left. And, or even like, maybe like in the case of this, some of those greatest memories that you actually had there. And so it's, it really strikes me as, I mean, this is exactly how it is. And I think they very smartly portrayed it where it's like you do get stuck with those memories and coming back to a place, it can be very hard because things are different and they're bound to be. That's just the nature of it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like that they used the nature of that whole thing about the town and everything, everyone kind of being the same and all that stuff. It was a very smart move on their part to kind of tie all of that together with this, this alien invasion, which can coincidentally happened. Uh, you know, the, the meteor arrived that night they were doing the pub crawl. And so really since then it's been, you know, the town has been slowly getting taken over by these blanks. And I think it was a, uh, a great idea to tie it together because it is kind of like wiping, wiping all personality from this town. So it's just it becomes kind of this the, the, a blank in and of itself. It it really does, and and it, I I wonder and it's some of the criticism that I think I've heard of the film. I think uh, to me it it sort of misses the uh, misses the point. You know, I I had read the, that what. I was going to say the film misses the point or the criticism misses the, the criticism point. The criticism misses the point. I, I you know because to me what what I think works well is what many people think is is sort of uh, off the mark which is that the film right about halfway through turns into uh sort of a different film. What we have in the beginning particularly with re- you know related to the setting of this town um and and addressing that question that we brought up earlier, can you go home again? Um, they they get to this town, which is a quaint British town, and instead of being a quaint British town, they go from pub to pub, and all the pubs are identical. Mm-hmm. And it is that feeling when you go to your hometown, where once your your once youthful hangouts are now Starbucks, and they're all ad- identical Starbucks, uh, and. Uh, all of the people in the in the pubs are the same. All the people, they all, you know, look like, you know, sort of equivalent 
Starbucks coffee hipsters, you know, and mm-hmm. and so it is that sense that you know what was here, I I can never have again from this moment, and yet. Uh, Gary King's effort to kind of overlook that and just get, even as his friends around him are saying, you know, gosh, this is, you really are blind to what you are seeing here. Yeah. Uh, as, as every beer on, on tap is the same, uh, in right. every pub, uh, you're missing that. And then the movie changes and we realize that there's, there's this old blank conceit and, and that they've been taken over by aliens. And some of the criticism is, you know what, you already made the point this is a, a you now have a second film, uh, and I I don't get why you need to to go to such extremes for the uh, you know for the alien invasion and make it this kind of a movie. It kind of loses its some of its depth. But to me, that uh, you know taking it to that extreme and that sort of uh, uh, hyper uh, characterization of of the same message from the first act of the film, I think really works, and that's what actually makes sort of a bittersweet emotional story funny. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it makes it, it takes it from being uh, what could be, you know, just a, a simple little Mike Lee film taking place about, you know, old friends coming together, reliving their past, only to realize that they have to pay attention to their future. That could totally just sell as a Mike Lee film, and it could work. But... By throwing it into this genre, I think it's it, well. One, I mean, I think that's what Edgar Wright is good at. He likes he likes these films. You can tell. You can tell he's a, a, a passionate filmmaker who loves movies and loves making movies uh, that kind of reflect the movies that he loves. And I, I think he could go and make a, a Mike Lee type of movie. But I think what he really enjoys is these genre movies. And I think what he does so well is he takes these great genre uh uh tropes and adds all these other elements that are much more serious in tone we've had that in all of these films i mean not so much in hot fuzz but you still have some of that uh you know the character development as as nicholas angel is trying to kind of open up and not be not just be uh on all the time but he needs to kind of shut off and 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 uh open up to other people and in the first film you've got uh Sean, who is just, he just can't quite cross that line to the commitment that he needs to do with his girlfriend. And so it's, he's very smart at how he puts these strong emotional stories with these really interesting relationships in genre films that normally wouldn't have that. And that's why I think this is a very effective film. And I think those people are daft and they're missing the point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on That's... it. <laughs> uh, yes, I agree with you entirely. Uh, okay, so the boys, uh, his his buds. Absolutely great casting. I mean, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, I think, first of all, it was a very clever idea to kind of switch up the types of characters they were playing. Because Simon really has always been kind of the... Uh, a little more of the serious character who's trying to figure stuff out, and Nick Frost has always been kind of the, the kind of the the bumbling guy or the loser. And it was great seeing Nick Frost playing the. I mean, he's a partner in this law firm. I mean, he's like really successful. I mean, he's having troubles with his marriage, which is uh, likely the reason that he's decided to do this pub crawl against probably his better judgment. But 
it's so nice seeing the the change of those two and seeing Simon Pegg being this struggling loser that uh, you know it's it is kind of hard to identify with him but he is such a, a um, an interesting character I, I really enjoy seeing those two switched around like that I I really did too and I think you know I already feel like I had a, a great deal of respect for Simon Pegg um, just as a comic actor, uh, you know, I deeply enjoy watching him. He's one of those very charismatic physical actors for me. You know, I deeply enjoy watching him on screen, uh, whether he's playing Scotty or, or Sean, you know, but I, I already sort of knew coming into it that, that I was going to like this character of Gary. Uh, but I really was surprised by Nick Frost, uh, who I, I was, I did not have a sense that he, you know, he was much beyond what I'd seen of his, uh, his past work, you know, I mean, right. he's kind of a goofy comic, uh, actor, uh, right. uh, very physical, very, you know, kind of competent comic actor, but you know, how much range was, was in there. And I, I was delighted to see what he did in this film as, as just the level of sort of contrast that he brought to that first, uh, that first hour of the film, right before he rips his shirt off. I think that's when things kind of turned. <laughs> <laughs> or when he down when he downs the five shots, yeah, which is yeah. Best, where they all turn to him and he's like, oh, uh, as he's like, yeah, he's been a, a teetotaler, you know, for practically this whole time, or I, I think since like the late nineties, and he's just like pounding these shots in this like almost like this orgasmic way because he hasn't had a drink in so long. Oh, that was good. Yeah, this is and uh... he's great. He is great in fight scenes. I had so much fun watching Nick Frost in the fight scenes, particularly the big, uh, the, the big fight, one, yeah, in the, in the Beehive when when they're fighting against um, Pierce Brosnan, the their old former teacher, and everyone keeps coming into the bar, and he just picks up these chairs and just starts railing on people. <laughs> so much fun to watch. I mean, I loved the the fight scenes in this film. As a total aside, we can get to that later. Well, I you you know okay if you or we can talk to, about them now. Wait, well, I you brought it up, and now I'm excited to talk about fighting. They were great. They fights. were great. Ah, oh. so much fun. The bathroom though was was my favorite fight scene. That was hands down my favorite. That was you know what was so great about that fight scene is that it really it felt like they took these goofy guys and really taught them how to fight. Yeah. Like, it didn't feel like it was, it felt like they, they left the camera running for a lot of really long shots. That they were, it was so, uh, so well planned out. The, the length of all of these, uh, the fights, and you're right, I mean, just the shots were so long. And it was so great to see how long they went on. They used their, um, their stunt uh, coordinator, Bradley James Allen, um, who I believe that, yeah, he came on, uh, with Scott Pilgrim when Edgar Wright, uh, after he did Hot Fuzz, he went and did Scott Pilgrim and did a great job on that film. And um, he, I mean, he's, you know, very, very long line of, of stunt work and stunt coordinating and uh, choreographing all this sort of, sort of stuff. He um, did just a fantastic job and, and just goes to show uh, that you don't have to be cutting every two seconds in a fight scene in order to make it an engrossing fight scene. When you can actually coordinate it so that everybody is doing the stuff they need to do, you can have these long, long takes that are just full of action and just interesting things happening. And you see all these people doing it and you really see them actually doing it. I loved that. And it, it was so nice to see. 
Well, it's and I think it's important to note this was a a bathroom in a pub, a small bathroom in a pub, and ten big people were <laughs> fighting all at once in this pub uh, in a very constrained space. Right, uh, and they were moving the camera around. Like it, it just felt really organic. It felt really kind of unrestrained, and uh, and and I think you know ultimately. Uh, to your point about stunt choreography, very, very competent. Like it, it really felt like it felt very natural. It didn't feel like goofy comic actors like doing it. It was, it was totally out of context to have such a great fight scene in a movie like this. <laughs> it was, but but somehow it just felt right. Yeah, no, it just felt. It, it was right. great, and I really loved the fight. Back going back to the one in the beehive, I loved that one also because it did bring it up a notch in some of its more goofiness. Because you know, by this point, they've really kind of learned to you know twist the melon, as they always say, like to pop their these little these little action figure toy heads off of these characters. <laughs> Martin Freeman's running around with his head you know, half of his head missing. And then you've got uh, Simon Pegg there. And it totally goes back to it, it to the um, Jackie Chan drunken master sorts of fight scenes where he's got his beer in his hand and he's doing everything he can to just down <laughs> this beer and and avoid it from getting it from getting all the beer sloshed out and and it pops up sometimes and he's got to catch the beer and it was it was just like it, it just took it to these really fun levels that made them so fun to watch it absolutely did i it was that that i think was a real highlight of this film yeah. uh apart from my old man softy uh, love for you know the cultural elements this was this was just a treat <laughs> to watch uh, yes uh okay so uh the other uh boys uh patty, so, patty constantine uh, martin freeman and eddie marzan yeah you know all of them are just such fun great actors to watch and, and patty constantine was great in hot fuzz and and he's been great in in so many great things i mean i, I still think I uh, I don't think he my uh, favorite film of his has been beaten as far as his performances, which is uh, in America, which I just think was one of the most astounding films uh, to come out um, in the the aughts decade. I just really really love that film, and I think he was amazing in it and deserved more kudos from that film. But he's I, been. I noticed great. you did use the word aughts. Well, I don't know what to call them. The well, that was the, the double O's. Yeah, that was awkward. I just wanted to note that. <laughs> Did I make things awkward? <laughs> you just made it real. Uh, All right, go ahead. You were saying uh, Patty Considine. Yeah, but I mean, he's he's an absolutely fantastic actor, uh, and he's just great to see. He's he's great to bring into whatever sort of film that he's in, and I had a great time watching him. I think that it in a, a different filmmaker, a different screenwriters may have actually told the film from his point of view because if you look at it his character Steve is the one who's uh kind of got the the romance connection in the film and you could easily have that a, a stronger element in the in this whole story of him coming back to town finding his long lost love dealing with all of his friends and then in this case it would be like some are more successful than him some are less successful than him i could totally see this film being written from his perspective and i i really enjoy the fact that they didn't i enjoy that the fact that they wrote it from the perspective of the guy who's kind of at the bottom of the heap but uh but not to uh you know say anything bad about patty constantine i think that he is fantastic and he easily could have carried carried the film so 
I um, I agree with that. I yeah, I don't have anything else to add. I want to talk <laughs> about Martin Freeman. Yes, uh, good old Bilbo. You know Bilbo, but you know I this is he's one of these funny actors, right? I mean I uh, I feel like I I met him in Shaun of the Dead, right? He had a little cameo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, really got to know him in Arthur Dent. He's another one like Simon Pegg that I feel like is is extremely charismatic, awkwardly charismatic on on screen, um, and uh, uh, <laughs> you know he is great in everything I've I feel like I've seen him in. And then he went and did um, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock, right? Sherlock. Yeah, Sherlock, and uh, he plays obviously Doctor Watson, and I think his his performance in that series is stunning. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's, uh, you know, in terms of his work as an actor, I think he's, you know, vastly deeper than Bilbo and, and, uh, you know, some of his other stuff. I just think it's really a fantastic, he's a fantastic actor. And so it's such a treat to see him playing this, uh, one of the kind of ancillary characters here who gets doubled and broken and becomes kind of a comic foil, uh, for the rest of the alien invasion in this film. And I, I, I think he just, you know, he played it so, so well. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's a great actor. He's always fun to see. My, I, I think I first fell in love with him watching the British version of The Office. Oh, my goodness. I totally forgot that. Yeah, he was great in that. <gasps> so great. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, He was Tim. 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 He <laughs> was Tim. Oh man, I gotta go back and catch that again. Good stuff. He's great. Yeah, he's really, really great. Um, okay, then we have. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Eddie Marzan. Left. Eddie Marzan. Yeah. And it's funny because Eddie Marzan. I mean, he has been around for a very long time. I mean, uh, mid '80s is when he started. Um, I he's one of those guys that I know I've seen in things uh, just all across the board from the '90s. Uh, like the man who knew too little, the the uh, kind of funny little spy spoof that uh, Bill Murray did, um, all the way through, you know, through recent more recent films, uh, uh, Gangs of New York, and um, the film the uh, the film that has totally stuck in my head, unfortunately. Oh, and then he was in The Illusionist. Yeah, I was just going to say we for. can't forget The Illusionist. Yeah, the film that unfortunately for him has totally stuck in my head as as the Eddie Marzan that I never want to watch on film again <laughs> is, oh, no. is the character that he played in, um, is happy go in happy go lucky. The, uh, the going back to Mike Lee, the Mike Lee film that came out a few years ago. Um, he was this, uh, driving instructor, uh, teaching her, teaching the, uh, the other character how to drive. And he had the worst teeth and they made his <laughs> teeth just look so awful. And he was such an evil, like hateful, angry character that I, I just I've had that stuck in my head for so long, and I've just not wanted to ever like him again because I he was such a repulsive character in that. And now I'm just like, oh, now I can finally like him again because I loved him so much in this film. Oh, well, I, I, on behalf of Eddie Marzan, I'm relieved that you've come, <laughs> you've come around. Yes, you can tell him that I'm back in his court. <laughs> Um, you know, he is also, we should add, uh, a fantastic in, uh, he was fantastic in Sherlock Holmes, the other Sherlock Holmes. Right. That's right. Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes as Inspector Lestrade. Uh, and, uh, 
I pretty much if you're an actor and you're British, you're likely connected to a Sherlock Holmes property. I wonder if uh, <laughs> if he and uh, Martin had little Sherlock Holmes conversations. <laughs> yes, right. That's that's right. It's like it's like okay. if you were an actor in the nineteen what eighties, you probably were on Love Boat. Love Boat. <laughs> Yes, who wasn't? Or Fantasy Island. You you have some sort of a Ricardo Montalban connection. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, what else do we have to talk about here? Um, just real quick going through, I'm not going to read all the names of the actors that have been across all three films or at least in a couple of the films, but there are a lot of familiar faces that you see from Hot Fuzz in this, that you see yeah. from Son of the Dead. People that it, you know may have been in uh, a very small role, like Mary the Zombie in the in Shaun of the Dead, who's ended up uh, being one of the people in the um, uh, the rehab meeting at the beginning. Just so many people across all the films, and I love that uh, Edgar Wright goes back and reuses people, even from Spaced, his TV show. There's just so many people, and I love that he kind of has created this family, and they keep coming back, and they keep coming back. And I, I think it's just so fun to see so many faces and talk about another great way to kind of tie all of this kind of trilogy feel together. I think that's a, a great way to do it. I uh, I feel like we can't. Uh, and we should, you mentioned Spaced. If you haven't gone back to watch Spaced, it's available. Uh, I think as an entire series on, uh, uh, well, an entire series. It's like fourteen episodes on on Hulu, and it's absolutely worth watching. Uh, if even if you don't find it funny, which you know I do, I think it's really quite charming. But if you don't find it funny, it's really fun to watch uh, all of these people that we see kind of progress through their their careers. I love this. It's it's like a family tree uh, of this of the Edgar Wright family. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, I wanted to talk about Bill Nye, who I, oh, of course I, all I was you know he we don't see him in this film we we hear him he is the um, he's the voice of network. Mm-hmm. But oh my goodness, <laughs> that guy is uh, wow! Yeah, he's great. He is really fantastic, and uh, love that he he uh, took on this um, this film as as part of it. He's been great in in all the stuff that he's done. He was obviously he was the the stepdad in in Shaun of the Dead, and um, and he was the uh, what was his his rank? He was he, he was, was the. the the oh, what was it what's the rank i don't know cuz uh, oh i don't know yeah and uh, he was a, he was he had a uniform in Shaun of the dead all right I he was yeah fuss. he was the he fuss. was the head yeah, yeah. the head, what, what the head they, guy what do, what do we call that he probably the, had a sir he was the the chief, chief inspector. inspector kenneth yeah. chief inspector yes. he's chief inspector there you go uh and of course davy jones wow wonderful effects on that face uh okay so there's bill nye he's one of my favorites who else uh who else stands out to you pierce brosnan Uh, what yeah it's you know now they've (laughs) i i don't recall any bonds in Shaun of the dead but they've had two of the bonds in in uh in their films that's right because they had uh, timothy dalton yeah yeah Yeah. the daltonator (laughs) and it's just i don't know i i love seeing pierce brosnan in this and it's i've got to say it's awfully freaky to have this this wonderfully kind of it just felt so british the way that he's kind of got that little goatee and he's it's like he's got the pipe and you just expect him to be sitting by a fire 
and the way that he sits there and then he like stands up and they all do this thing where they've got to like smack the wall and I don't quite understand what it is but even like in the bar fight like one of the guys has to bend backward and kick the wall before they all start fighting and I, I haven't figured out exactly what it is but Pierce Brosnan like smashes, smashes his elbow into like the little alarm on the wall and then he's like he raises his arm up in that invasion of the, the body snatchers like way it's just like Rah! and then all the blue light comes out of his eyes and his mouth and it's just it's really freaky it i love it totally freaky <laughs> yeah he was the he was the character that felt uh the most sort of out of place for me mm. uh I, I don't know if it was that he was too well known uh or too well known not in the family mm. uh but it was a it, it was an out of place thing I don't know if that it did not. I guess what, what I'm saying is it didn't serve uh, his casting, and that didn't serve me. It didn't feel like he had big enough a role. Y- yeah, maybe for it that's to have it. Been, to have warranted to casting him. him, right? Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. You know, I guess I never. It never bothered me. I, no, I, it didn't. I, in terms of, I mean, God, I'm nitpicking a movie that I really, I, I loved, but no, um, no. yeah, whatever. Um, Rosamund Pike, I just love. I think she's great in this, and and gives a great grounding presence to the to the film as the the woman that both Gary and Steve are kind of in love with. And I think that she has a great presence, and I love that they have this this comedic Casablanca moment talking about the disabled toilets. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like one of the most absurd things. It's just like we'll always have the disabled. <laughs> it's just... so awful. And and they play it so well. And uh, I tell you, there's, uh, I I don't think I had ever seen her play in a comedy before. You know, I mean, Pride and Prejudice. She's great in that. Jack right. Reacher. I mean, Die Another Day, which was not a great film. She I was, was going to say we should add she was actually in a Bond film with right. Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan, right. So she's, I mean, she's a great actress. I've always enjoyed her. Um, and, uh, well, I take it back. She was in Johnny English Reborn. So, you know, she spent her uh, comedic time with uh, um, uh, Rowan Atkinson, I guess. So. That's, I don't know that that's necessary. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> oh. uh, she I, was also, she was in, uh, you know, speaking of crossovers, I, I hadn't caught this. Bill Nye, you know, was Hephaestus in Wrath of the Titans. And mm. she was Andromeda. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, you know, like we said, you know, these British people, they all end up in all these movies together. You know, if, if another Harry Potter was was coming out, they'd probably all be in that together. That's right. You know, it's there is. Small, right? It's a small island. Yeah. <laughs> it is a small island. Very large kingdom. Very small <laughs> island. Um, yes. Yeah, so, Okay. Uh, well, I like Rosamund Pike. She was great. Although, you know, I did miss Liz. Uh, I was kind of hoping that the love interest would be Liz. What was her name from Shaun of the Dead? I don't know, but she was great too. Yeah. She would have been a great option. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's uh, that's the world done. We're very happy with that film. Yep. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> good, good talk, everybody. Uh, Bill Pope, uh, cinematography. I think uh, uh, just in terms of establishing the um, the, the stylistic vision uh, and and kind of leveraging the directing style of Edgar Wright, I think he did a fantastic job. Well, and he's a, a cinematographer. I mean, he has been around 
for quite a while. Long and, time, yeah. And he worked on the Matrix films. And right. speaking of, you know, going back to the stunt choreography and everything, he's a cinematographer who also really knows how to adapt the camera work to fit with these stunts. So it's not just about the stunt coordinator making sure that they, they're doing these great stunts, stunts, but you have a cinematographer and you have a director who, who know how to put it all together. And all of that works together to create great stunt scenes. And he did it in Scott Pilgrim versus the World um, with uh, Edgar Wright bringing some great fight scenes in that. And, uh, and obviously in all the Matrix films and everything he's done uh, since, he's well, really he, good at that. He, is a, he has a fantastically diverse uh, 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 filmography. Yeah. Uh, when you look, I mean, some of my very favorite films are, are you know, Bound uh, is mm. is on this list. You look at the at, at that he sandwiched um, the Matrix between freaks and geeks and bedazzled. Uh, <laughs> but he also did uh, the great. Uh, I I think I may be the only person who really liked this film uh, with the Ben Stiller and uh, and Bill Pullman film uh, Zero Effect. Zero. Yeah. That was a- I really liked that film. And I don't think anybody else did. I remember watching it. <laughs> right. Uh, but it, he also, uh, he did Team America World Police, one of the most, uh, I think, That's right. complicated action films, we could say. Well, and, you know, speaking, speaking of Edgar Wright, I mean, Sam Raimi was really kind of a big influence on young Edgar Wright. Right. I mean, he saw Evil Dead 2, and that really was something that kind of triggered. Uh, you know, he saw, well, Evil Dead well, 2 he loved, but he actually saw a... a it was a, a BBC. Well, look, at, look at Army of Darkness, a Sam Raimi film with Bill Pope cinematography, and he yeah, gets yeah. Bill Pope, uh, well, uh, you know, and, on his film. Yeah, it, and he had seen a, a BBC documentary about Sam Raimi and the filmmaker and kind of how he made his stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, Bill Pope, I mean, Dark Man, Army of Darkness, the Spider, the you know, Spider Man Two. I don't think he did the first Spider Man, but he did Spider Man Two and Three with Sam Raimi. So he's definitely somebody who's been with him quite a while. And Barry Sonnenfeld. So you can tell this is a cinematographer who's really used to working with people who have very alive cameras. And Edgar Wright, somebody who kind of was a student of those uh, those people who really liked those alive cameras, it comes across in his films. His cameras are always alive, and it makes his films so visually exciting to watch. Well, look at what a, a fantastic case example is The Spirit, Frank Miller's uh, uh, film. Uh, which I, I think has a, a, kind of exactly that. Not a not a terrific film to me, but a visually really stunning. Talk about alive yeah. cameras! I think that really is is apt. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, uh, so really, we it turns out I think we like that too. We like him too. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just I mean everything else the the production design the the costumes everything I think on this really came together and and just it all pieced together to make a really solid film and something else I mean Stephen Price did the music which I think is very effective in this but Edgar Wright and I don't remember if we talked about this on the other two films but he really knows how to put a soundtrack together he did they made a uh, you know he's I think he's one of those actors where music plays an enormous role or one of those uh, writers and directors where music plays an enormous role in the writing and production of he's he's very much sort of of the the Quentin Tarantino kind of uh, you know house of music driving inspiration for the words yeah 
Well, and, and it's uh, funny. I mean, if you you look through the the list of songs on the soundtrack, and it's funny how how much they all fit in with it. You know, the I'm free. I mean, even loaded the the primal scream song that begins with that whole bit of dialogue from. Um, uh, the uh, um, what's his name's movie the um, the wild angels I'm blanking on the actor uh, but anyway that whole so what is it that you want to do we want to be free we want to um, uh, we want to be free to do what we want to do and we want to get loaded and we want to have a good time and that's what we're going to do which is great that they begin the film with that song and then that's the line that Gary King of the humans ends up delivering to the aliens at the yes. end of the film it's, yes. I mean, it's fantastic. But going back to the songs, I'm free, so young, um, come home. Do you remember the first time? Um, Fool's gold, get a life. Uh, this is how it feels. Um, step back in time, join our club. Here's where the story ends. <laughs> it's just, it was funny. And then this corrosion, the Sisters of Mercy song that they end up using has that great choral uh, beginning to the song, which they tie in so perfectly as he's as he's like running to the world's end the the final pub i mean he uses his music really effectively um let's talk about the end speaking of the end speaking of the end now you're talking about not the the end but you're talking about kind of the coda yeah the coda right? yeah um so yeah the end i mean the end was a big action end there was a nice speech and i i bought it i was into it it was fun mm-hmm. and then it actually, uh, we actually see the action play out, uh, mm-hmm. and the world. They they make good on the promise of the title. The world does end. <laughs> Absolutely. Which I think is a you know there are, there are a number of things going on there. First of all, I you know I I feel like we use those words intentionally. They do. He does make good on this promise that you are not only once you find out it's an alien story, and you put that together with the title of the film we're we're gonna go we're, we're gonna go all the way and i i think that's something that edgar wright and simon Pegg have never really shied away from uh right. some have said that that was you know that was a bridge too far that that coda actually uh puts as we say too fine a point on mm-hmm. uh on the story of the film and that you know we're already in this sort of vaudevillian kind of sci-fi uh mashup by actually making this british town filled with aliens in the first place, you know, do we really need to, to take it to that, to that distant future? What is your sense of the end as we see, you know, Nick Frost and, and, and Gary, uh, or in Simon Pegg's characters, you know, as they, in this post-apocalyptic end-of-world kind of sequence? Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting. It, it, it almost feels not, it feels tacked on a little bit, but at the same time, I, I mean, I've, I've seen the film four times now. I, I, definitely like it um i (laughs) the more i watch the ending the more i feel that it's the right ending i mean i find it interesting that you know we see gary and andy finally make up gary finally apologizes as they're sitting on the hill overlooking the the burning remains of their old hometown newton haven and then we kind of, you know, flash forward to, you know, as, as the dark days have fallen and the blanks have kind of stood up and started walking around. They don't have any connection to the network anymore. So they're just kind of these shells of what they were, which was just shells anyway. And now everybody's living. And it's basically like, uh, what's that show on that's uh, right now? Revolution? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like that where 
there's no power at all anymore. And people have kind of gone back to the olden days, pre-electricity, and just basically surviving. The thing that I really like about it, I mean, it, it does kind of feel, it's, it still feels a little out of place, but I think what I really like about it is is how it leaves us with Gary, which is, in a way, he never has really changed. He ends up teaming up with his old mates, which all are the younger blank versions of all his old friends from 1990. So he's essentially reliving that, and now he's doing it in a way where he's basically having a good time. They're they're playing King Arthur as you know he's walking around with the sword, and the, it's it's straight out of. Uh, you know, something like Django Unchained where, you know, we won't serve blanks here and, and so they kind of hack at everybody. Or It's such a, a strange little place, but it's it. I think it it's a fitting conclusion for Gary. And I think we do need that through line to see, okay, he's kind of gotten through the issues with these friends and he's found a way to kind of move past the uh, the, the pain. He's apologized to Andy. He's finally able to kind of get out of that mindset where he needs to be based. His only happy place was 1990. And now in a way, the, because the world's ended and really kind of taken him back to Arthurian times, which he mocks earlier because they can't drink tap water. And of course now they're going to a bar to order tap water. It ends up being this, this kind of like cathartic experience for him and seeing him now the leader of this merry band it just ends up being this this character catharsis that, for me, I feel ends up working, and I I can see why it's tacked on, but I I, I do find it good. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, you know, I do too. I uh, it, and it took me a while, I think, to get there. When I saw the film the very first time, I'm, you know, I felt like it was it, it just didn't f- square. And yet, to your point about what we need out of Gary. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what I think this this makes sort of the Oreo cookie of the film complete, you know? Yeah. That um, it, it, we look at this one way, Gary was a man who was always just out of place. Like, he, he couldn't grow up because he wasn't really equipped with the, the sort of sociocultural skills or worldview to be able to grow up and, and take part in, in uh, you know, the world at large. He, he wasn't able to cope with... Uh, you know, loss and guilt. Um, and in in that respect, the world had to catch up with him, right? With yeah. to, as as it fell apart. But on the other side, you know, he was a guy who, um, you know, who couldn't figure out what he wanted to do in this next chapter of his life. And and uh, I, I think that last sequence was a you know a real celebration of a guy who finally was able to make a choice. And take an active role in defining his own future and and figuring out what role he wanted to play in the universe around him in his world and and I think that's such a wonderful metaphor for so many of you know of so many people who are really struggling to to make just those choices i I love the message that it sends that that you know you that this is a film with a it, it's a weird film it's a weird journey that these guys go on full of very weird strange surprises and big action sequences and and uh, some you know clumsy uh, uh, buddy dynamics and yet the end there is a moral to this film which is all about uh, you know ownership and responsibility and I think to me that carries through so nicely. 
uh, to the overall, as we, we talked in the beginning, to the overall thread that connects the three Cornetto films. Yeah, absolutely. How does this sit with you in terms, if you had to stack rank the three of them, how, how would this sit with you? You know, I've been I've been deliberating over that, uh, partly because I know we're going to have to flick chart it soon, and partly because I'm just like, I'm so torn. I I love them all, and I love them all in such different ways. You know, Hot Fuzz is such an easy one for me to put on and watch. Um, and it's interesting, watching them all back-to-back at this uh, kind of this Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy evening that the theaters had, um, I did find... Uh, myself drawn even more back to Shaun of the Dead, which I, I mean, I really think just out of the gate, I mean, he really just made a, a, just a fantastic film. This one feels the most grown up to me. It feels like there's a little more um, deliberate thought put into kind of these older characters uh, reflecting on their lives. I really like that. I think that the nature of of Gary King, of the humans, made it a little... Um, harder to like at first because he is such a, an unlikable character. I liked all the other characters more than I liked him. As time has worn on and I've, as I've seen it more often, I really do like Gary and I really kind of, uh, you know, understand the place he's coming from. I'm so torn, though. I mean, I still feel like... Um, I feel like they're all really great films. I don't know. I'm... I've, I'm, I'm at a loss. I'm I'm hedging here. I I, I feel like I'm still gonna say, uh, Hot Fuzz for the fun, Shaun of the Dead for the 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 for the, for the, the what great, <laughs> the great story, and this one I just think for for more of the just I, I, the little more uh, maturity I guess. So they're all they're all up there. Well, they're you know, and that makes it it's hard. But I'm I'm kind of preparing myself for the flick chart too, and I I'm a little bit frustrated because as I look back, I it, you know my ranking uh, of these three films I don't think re- reflects uh, what our ranking is. I you know I it, uh, I still somehow Hot Fuzz ended up ahead of Shaun of the Dead for me, and I think it was because of some horse trading that we did uh, between us and. <laughs> uh, I'm okay with that. I can live with that. But but for me, I think this film, you know, when we talked, uh, talk about a throwback, when we talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, we talked a lot about kind of the the importance of a film and, and how much it, it hits us, uh, it connects with us based on where we are in our lives. You know, right. for me, Raiders of the Lost Ark was all about, you know, my relationship with my dad. Uh, and that movie ended up being very, very important to me. No, you know, it, it makes it very hard to be critical of it because I have such an emotional connection to it. Um, and I think this film is very reflective of that same sort of sentiment, that, that this film and the questions that it raises for me personally are, are you know, so present uh, with, you know, this, this, you know, following this character of making these active choices in his life and figuring out what to do with the next half of, of, you know, there are a lot of years left for, for old Gary and what's he going to do? How's he going to take this role? And, and to me that, that gives this film, that personal connection gives this film the most resonance of, uh, the three of them. And so I, to me, and it wasn't like when I first saw it, but to me, this is, I think the, the, uh, the best of the, the best of the three great films. Um, the, yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, I think you're right. I think within my my thinking, the matu- the added maturity to this one will kind of make it stand up above the others as far as kind of a, a great film goes. But you're right. It's, it's like the best of the three. Yeah. 
All right. Hey, okay, shall we uh, shall we do the next thing? You have um, another. You probably have some other things to talk well, about. Well, got to talk numbers. Oh, yeah, we should do that, too. The uh, you know Conveniently, since it came out this year, I don't have to really adjust for inflation on this one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still on there. Um, this film uh, cost $20 million to make. And they had an additional $15 million in their, uh, their prints and advertising budget. So $35 million is what they spent on this film. And... The uh, domestic gross here in the States was just, it, well, and it's still in theaters. So these numbers will are, are bound to change, and I'll try to update it once it's left theaters to get the final numbers in here. It's just under $25 million domestically. Internationally, it's almost at $18 million. So it's, it's around $42 million right now. Um, I'm guessing it'll keep growing a little bit. So, you know, it's done pretty well for, I mean, for a little British film, you know, it's it's done well enough for itself for Edgar Wright to keep his day job. The um, right now it's ranked at number sixty-seven on our on our ranking of films as far as they uh, they go per on the uh, the profit per finished minute. Outstanding. Yeah. Um, let's flick chart it. Where can they find us? I was going to do that. I just wanted to make sure you were ready. Are you I'm ready? Get, I'm getting it ready. All yes, right. So I'm, you, I'm you, if, you, uh, if you happen to be at an internet machine, you should head over to uh, uh, flickchart.com slash the next reel. And there you can see the golden list. And this is a big one. This is number 100, even though well, we already have more than 100 films on there. This is number, if we're purists, this is the next reel's 100. And so this now we officially are, this is the golden list. Yep. Our top 100 films. And I have a feeling this one's not going to be, is going to be on that list for a while. I have a feeling it will. I have a feeling it will. Ready? Oh, I'm so ready. The next, uh, the world's end. I was going to say the next reel. <laughs> <laughs> the world's end or inside man. All right. It has to be the world's end. I think it does. It totally does. The world's uh, see it just it goes right to these hard ones. <laughs> the world's end or the social network. Ooh, ooh, that that actually uh, that becomes kind of a that, <laughs> that's a definitive uh, choice. I think it's got to be the world's end for me. It's a tricky one, man. Because um, if it's if it is in fact better than if it's worse than the social network, then by definition it will be worse than Hot Fuzz. Well, uh, <laughs> then I guess it has to be the world's end. <laughs> we'll, we'll put it down as world's end. We know that there's some flick chart did, works. Did I just blow, I just blew your mind a little bit. <laughs> you did. Whoa. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. The world's end or the treasure of the Sierra Madre? Oh. Well, I'm going to say the world's end. I will too. It's... It is. It's rough putting like a brand new film up against like an old classic. I know. But, yeah, it's like, what are you gonna do? Ah, flick chart. <laughs> the world's end or no country for old men. Ugh. That's a tough one. I I will say no country. For I'm old gonna men. <laughs> no country for old men. I I can't quite go that far. <laughs> Oh, otherwise it's going to be right up at number one. This okay, is world, be tough. World's End or Seven? <laughs> seven. Uh, yeah. The World's End or Zodiac? It's got to be Zodiac. Yeah. 
God, these, <laughs> I think I know where this one's going to land. All right. The World's End or The Sting? The Sting. All right. Number 14 out of 109. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So, you know, this is the curse of flick chart. It can't necessarily, you know, it's not all things to all people. <laughs> but that, honestly, that feels uh, that feels pretty good. Yeah, it does. It, it feels good. I mean, we have so many movies on here that we like. It's yeah, hard right? to how are you gonna always get that? it right. Yeah. How, yeah. how would you possibly do that? How would you possibly? Yeah. Okay. So two last uh, quotes from the film that I just think are <laughs> are great. Good ways to, to, to bring us out of this uh, number 100. Nothing suggested in the last 10 minutes has been better than Smashy Smashy Eggman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. okay. And then the last one, which I think is another great moment that they had for Andy that I think is an incredibly romantic gesture. I just punched my wife's wedding ring out of a robot's tummy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Brilliant. Great great stuff. Yeah. It puts it on with his mouth. That was great. (laughs) Good stuff. Great movie. Uh, Great movie. Good finish to the, uh, uh, finally, a good finish to the three flavors Cordetto trilogy. We'll always have the disabled. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Uh, so next, where do, where do we go from here? What is next week? What you know, is we're, episode 101, After the Prisoners this weekend. What do that's we do? right. After the Prisoners, we're starting with, uh, I, I guess, <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing a little bit of a horror jump before October starts. We're actually going to uh, jump back in time a little bit and talk about the classic drive-in film, The Blob. Mm. This isn't the remake of The Blob, people. Don't mis- just don't mistake us. Yeah. You want to keep up. You got to go all the way back. Back to, all what was it? 1958. 56? 58? Yeah. Was it really? 1958. 58. 58, 1958, yeah. that's right. This is uh, this is the uh, classic Steve McQueen uh, uh, directed by Irving S. Yeaworth. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. You know, I've never actually seen it, so I'm I'm quite looking forward to uh, <laughs> delving into the gooiness of the book. There is a lot of seeping. <laughs> there is. In this, it's, it's, you know what I love about this film, and we'll, obviously we'll talk more about this, is that this is one of those films that takes something that is inherently not scary and makes a bunch of people try to be scared of it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so it makes this a real treat to watch. Very fun. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to it. Absolutely. All right. Uh, until this weekend. Um, let's boo-boo. Let's boo-boo to the lager end. <laughs> Or the bitter end. (laughs) 